From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father John Tregilio. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Monday to each and every one of you. I hope you had a tremendous weekend and celebrated the Feast of the Epiphany. Um, as I'm always reminded of my father calling the the Magi, the three wise guys, whenever this uh, feast rolls around. If you'd like to be part of the program, Father Trujillo is in the house. Well, he's in some house. We'll find out what house he's in in a minute. <laughs> But uh, if you'd like to be part of the program, the number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd love to hear from you. That number is 1-205-271-2985. And we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. And uh, you can always send us an email. That email address is openline at EWTN.com. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall, producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Kubensky and Ace McKay handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window, and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, as he is every Monday, Father John Tregilio, where in the world are you? I'm in Columbus, Ohio. Oh, on purpose? <laughs> I'm obligated to say yeah. that as a Michigan Wolverine fan. So, Okay. <laughs> so, Father John, um, are you at the Josephinum? I am. All right, very good. Well, we'll keep all of those uh, fine men in formation in our prayers, to be sure. Uh, Joan writes in, and she said, Regarding the declaration fiducia supplicans, Since our Catholic faith is based on the true teachings of Jesus, do we have any citations from Scripture that our Lord blessed couples in irregular-slash-sinful relationships? I can't think of any examples, and if there were, I would think they would have been cited in the Declaration. Well, uh, that's true. He he never did. And, uh, you know, the the distinction that, that... you know, constantly has to be made is that uh, uh, any individual can receive a blessing. Uh, you're asking for God's uh, protection. You're asking for his intervention. You're asking for his grace. Um, this whole phenomenon of um, people wanting to have sinful um, relationships blessed, you can't bless something that cannot be blessed. Uh, you know, it's like the old... Uh, and the document uh, does not suggest that. That's right. Uh, so I can't. I I can bless animals. I can bless things. I can bless people. Um, people who are in an invalid marriage. People who are in a, a same-sex relationship. Uh, I can bless the person as a child of God. But I can't bless something that can't be blessed. So I can't bless uh, their union, their relationship with someone else, especially if it's not proper. And remember, John the Baptist. I mean, he lost his head because he told King Herod, it's not right that he lives with his brother's wife. And uh, that, that is 
still what the church maintains. Now, the, the problem is that we see some people, especially on the Internet now, taking this uh, as a green light to go ahead with um, not just irregular but invalid blessings. Uh, you, you can't bless, uh, like I said, if it's not a, a valid marriage, I can't make it valid and I can't make it licit and I can't bless the relationship that's not proper in the eyes of God or in the eyes of the church. I can bless the person. I can bless an automobile. I can bless a typewriter. That's in the Roman ritual. Uh, but I, I don't understand why the, the, the even why the document had to be um, promulgated because this has always been the practice of the church. An individual can be blessed. Uh, when you're a hospital, I mean, when you're a prison chaplain, you can bless any of the prisoners there even the ones on death row, you're not condoning the the, the the crimes that they committed, but at the same sense, you know, you can't go to a, a Al-Qaeda meeting and give them all a blessing. It just, it can't be done. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833 and uh, just here at the beginning of the program, Father, I've, I've been encouraging people who have these sorts of questions to, if they haven't, it sounds like this, it sounds like Joan may very well have read the, the document based on some of her, her uh, things she says in her question, but read the document. It's only 45 paragraphs long, and I think it's, do you find it to be pretty explicit? I do. I, I, I think it's... It's clear in that it states what can't be done. Um, the problem is that as soon as it came out, uh, people took it out of context. And I don't see what the urgency or necessity of issuing the document was. But that being said, the document itself does not contradict uh, church teaching. But whether it was the best prudential judgment, I would say uh, no. <laughs> yeah. uh, that we're allowed, you're allowed to make that comment. Um, it's not denying church teaching, uh, but at the same token, uh, you know, when bishops and priests are being told you must do this, um, you know, what is it that we're being told we must do? What is it we're being told we're allowed to do? Um, again, I can always bless an individual, but what they're doing, their activity is completely separate from that. And that's why these things must be extra liturgical. That's, uh, that means outside a liturgical ceremony. Uh, the priest should not be wearing vestments. Uh, there's no book that should be used. Uh, it's just a simple blessing of a person as a person. Uh, the couples, um, again, if I bless a group of, of fellows, um, it'd be, the context is always going to be important because if it's a bunch of firemen or policemen or military, I'd be happy to bless them. Uh, if, it, if it's a guy, a bunch of guys in, in a, in, in a, Mafia uh, gang, I, I can't. I can't bless the say, "Well, you know, God bless you, hun. Go on your way and commit mayhem." Eight three three two eight eight EWTN is our toll free number. Eight three three two eight eight three nine eight six. Michelle G writes D rather writes in, Father Trujillo, I am wanting to ask you about being a lukewarm Catholic. I'm afraid I'm in trouble for not doing enough for our Lord. I go to Mass and Confession frequently. I have joined the Catholic Women's League as well in my parish, but I'm still not sure this is enough. I would appreciate your help. Well, I think you're on a good start. Um, 
certainly getting involved in the parish is is uh, is not just something incidental or peripheral. Uh, that the reason why we have parishes is that it's a parish family, and uh, we're not in this by ourselves. We're in this together. So, getting involved in it, finding a good parish and getting involved in that parish, um, volunteering, helping to teach CCD, uh, joining the, the the Women's Rosary and Altar Society, uh, anything like that, going to, on parish retreats. But the three things you have to always start with: you want daily prayer, and that's every day. You want know, to establish a prayer life, uh, going to mass every weekend, uh, getting to confession on a regular basis, and that would be uh, you know anywhere from three, four months, uh, every three or four months, or optimally every month, and then an annual retreat. Uh, that's a good foundation to establish a, a strong, healthy, robust life, but it can't be the minimum, uh, and then you stop at that. Uh, that's the the like building the foundation uh, of of the building. But if you start with that and then branch out, uh, certainly getting involved in the, um, you know, if there's a local, say Carmelite monastery, uh, considering jo- becoming a third order Carmelite or third order Dominican or any one of those uh, aspects, um, you know, we have all these wonderful opportunities. The Opus Dei has retreats for uh, lay women and lay men. Um, we have all these other uh, avenues, but certainly daily prayer, which should not be uh, just the bare minimum. Uh, and our, actually participating, being an active viewer and listener here at EWTN is gonna help you. But you can't just say, well, that takes care of it. It's like these people who don't go to mass anymore because uh, post COVID, uh, yeah, it's good to watch TV mass when you're not able to go. But if you're able to go, <laughs> it's better to be there because you can receive the sacrament, the Bible, its own divinity of Christ. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Just getting started on a Monday edition of EWTN's Open Line. 833-288-3986. That's our toll-free number. Open phone lines available right now and plenty of time for your phone calls. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd still love to hear from you. That number is 1-205-271-2985. It's EWTN's Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. You know, EWTN offers the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from Our Lady of the Angels Chapel live every morning at 8 Eastern Time. And we want to help you draw closer to our Eucharistic King with our free Mass Guide booklet. It includes both English and Latin text, and it'll help you follow along with the Mass on EWTN, and it'll unite you with Catholics all around the world. If you'd like that free Mass booklet or ebook, just visit EWTN.com Catholicism and click on Readings. 
833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. First up today is Kevin. He is a first-time listener in the great state of Michigan listening on Holy Family Radio. Kevin, thanks for holding. You're on with Father Trujillo. Okay, good. My question is, what is the the teaching on marriage, divorce, and remarriage? And uh, I just have heard a number of things. One is wondering what your specific teaching is on divorce and remarriage. Okay, well, that's a good question. And uh, we certainly root this in what's explicitly said by Jesus uh, in the gospel. Uh, if a man marries a woman and divorces her and remarries another, he commits adultery. And if a woman marries a man and uh, divorces him and marries another man, she commits adultery. Uh, that is very clear from the lips of Christ. And uh, the Catholic Church does not recognize um, the validity of, of divorce, especially from a civil standpoint. Now, that being said, uh, there are occasions where it was never marriage from day one, even if the couple did not realize it, because what's essential uh, for a valid Christian marriage is that both persons, first of all, are baptized. And let's say a man and woman marry each other, then later on find out one of them wasn't baptized. Uh, they, they were, it's not the sacrament of Christian marriage. Uh, it can be uh, what we call convalidated, or as it's sometimes called in the secular world, uh, inaccurately called blessed, but uh, in actuality, it doesn't exist until that moment when they exchange consent. Or if one of one or both of them uh, have do not embrace all the essentials of marriage, basically that this be a, a permanent bond, uh, that this be a faithful bond, and that this be a fruitful bond. So uh, the, the openness to children, that this be permanent, and that this be faithful in terms of being exclusive and not uh, tolerating uh, other uh, relationships. Um, So there is no such thing as a Catholic divorce. The, um, we call an annulment, the decree of nullity, is a a very formal process that looks back at the very day of uh, the wedding, uh, when both said, I do. Uh, Were they capable of giving that uh, full consent? Uh, Did they realize what they were consenting to? Um, Other than that, if something happens after the fact, uh, there's no, now in civil law, yes, people, they get a civil marriage license and then the the state can issue a civil divorce decree. In terms of religion, we tell people at at the ceremony, we tell them in their preparation, the pre-cana program, uh, that you know, this is for life until death do you part. <laughs> that's part of the uh, of the questions that's asked. It's part of the vows. That's why we don't uh, have uh, the bride and groom write their own vows. We have to make sure that it's valid from uh, the beginning, and we want them to realize that uh, this is a permanent, lifelong uh, commitment that I'm a- engaging in. But, uh, you know, the whole issue of divorce, remarriage, I know some other Christian denominations tolerate it or look the other way uh, in the in the Catholic faith. Uh, no, we, we take Jesus as at his words. And, uh, you know, that one uh, phrase there in Matthew's gospel, uh, an illicit union uh, being an exception. Uh, when you look at the actual Greek word that's in the, the sacred text, uh, porneia, 
uh, it, refer, it refers to not infidelity, but it refers to an unnatural situation. Like for instance, uh, a, a man cannot marry his sister. Uh, a woman can't marry her brother. Uh, that, that's totally impossible. Uh, and that would be the, the, the only exception because it couldn't exist from day one. A couple of open phone lines for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Next up is Jenny. She's right there in Columbus, Ohio, a first-time caller listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Jenny, you're on with Father Trujillo. Hello, Father. Hi. Hi. I listened to you on Web of Faith, and I had I wanted to know at the judgment, I know there's a general judgment and a particular judgment. I get them confused. I'm wondering, when we do have the judgment after our own individual judgment, when we die, do we actually, is everyone there listening to that, or is it just between us and Jesus and God? <laughs> well, that's a good question. The first one is private. <laughs> uh, your particular judgment, which determines literally where you're going to end up for eternity, uh, that's you and, and the guy upstairs, uh, the general judgment is merely a manifestation, a revelation, a disclosure of everybody's particular judgment. And at that point, uh, if you're in heaven, you're not going to mind one bit uh, what that judgment was because you're already in heaven. If you're in purgatory and you're going to be going to heaven, you don't worry. Uh, the ones who are in hell, no, no matter what they worry about, it's it, they're doomed. So the general judgment is not uh, an appeal. It's not like going to the Supreme Court. It's not a rehearing of the same case. Merely a general judgment is God's judgment is made manifest so that we will know the ones who are in heaven belong there and the ones who aren't, there's a reason why they're not there. Uh, up until that point, uh, the particular judgments uh, individually are only known per se uh, by the persons themselves. Now, obviously, if you're in heaven and you see someone else in heaven, you're going to know, well, they, that's how they were judged. And God forbid, if you're in hell and you see someone else there that you recognize, you'll know that's how they ended up. But in terms of what people did, the good and the bad will be, in a sense, infused knowledge that will be uh, given to us at the general judgment. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. It is a free telephone call anywhere in the United States and Canada. That's 833-288-3986. We head next to Pensacola, Florida. Tommy is listening on Guadalupe Radio. Tommy, you're on with Father John. Thank you. Uh, my question is regarding Revelation 12 where it says that Mary travailed when she gave birth, when some of the church fathers says that she had no pain. So is she referring to uh, Jesus, or is she referring to the militant church here on earth? Well, that's an excellent question. Um, nothing's been said uh, definitively uh, about Mary's uh, uh, pain and childbirth. Uh, a lot of uh, spiritual writers have give, made good arguments to say that, first of all, she would not have had to have um, pain in childbirth because she was free from original sin by virtue of the grace of the Immaculate Conception. At the same time, uh, she would also not have been uh, under the, the the pain of death 
if she was free from original sin. And yet some of the church fathers uh, proposed that she uh, may have or probably did pass away because uh, she wanted to participate fully uh, with her son since Jesus himself also died. And Jesus, being the son of God, the incarnate word, uh, he would not have had to experience death, but he embraced death. So the fact that Our Lady was free from original sin, and we also believe that she was she never committed any actual sin in her life, um, that doesn't mean that she would not have been able uh, to die, or that in giving birth she would have not been able to uh, experience uh, pain in um, childbirth. Now, some spiritual writers said if she did not have pain in childbirth with Jesus, there's also the spiritual birth of the church and certainly she did experience pain at the foot of the cross. And that's considered when the, the church was conceived, uh, when our Lord died on Good Friday. And someone like Fulton Sheen would often say that that was Mary's labor pains on Good Friday. And then the actual day of birth would have been on Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came on Mary and the 12 apostles. But it's never been defined day fide uh, as, as an infallible statement that Our Lady did or did not experience a pain in childbirth or even her physical death, because even in the Eastern uh, Church, they refer to the holy dormition, the falling asleep. Pope John Paul the Great, St. John Paul, Pope Benedict, and other uh, pontiffs and theologians have said it makes sense that Mary uh, may have and probably did uh, pass away and die, but she would not have had to suffer uh, the contagion of, uh, of corruption of her body. But that being said, it, that's not a, a de fide either. So you can maintain that Mary did die or she didn't die. You can maintain that Our Lady experienced pain in childbirth or she did not. The church has not ruled exclusively on that particular issue. Uh, Barbara writes in, when my father died, my priest said, now you pray to him and not for him. This confused me. I thought we were to to pray for the deceased. Thank you. Love your show. I learn a lot. Yes, I would say he wasn't accurate because unless someone has been uh, canonized, and that's, uh, I'm not saying only the canonized are in heaven, but once someone is canonized, uh, especially these days, since it's an infallible papal decree, uh, then you know for sure that person is in heaven so that uh, they don't need any more prayers. But other than that, uh, the, all the other uh, people that may be in heaven, uh, then they don't need our prayers, but we don't know that. So why, you know, cheat them in a sense and rob them of the efficacy of praying for them as well as to them? We can pray to the souls in purgatory. We can pray to the uh, the saints in heaven and uh, ask for their prayers, but only the ones in purgatory or the those living here on earth uh, need our prayers. Uh, the ones in hell, there's nothing that you can do for them. Uh, it's it, it just... It, it's useless, but those in heaven don't need it. Those in purgatory, those in on earth do. And I would never at a funeral, uh, unless it was the Pope was there and he just decreed so-and-so was uh, now canonized the saint. Other than that instant, which I've never seen happen, uh, I would never tell people not to pray because that's one of the things I found distressing as a pastor is so many people were no longer having masses said for their loved ones. Uh, we don't know when they're in heaven. Uh, so why, you know, gamble with that? Uh, have, the, have a mass offered on a regular basis for your loved ones. And if they're already in heaven, 
God will give the grace to someone else. So it's not a waste of time. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. We've got some open phone lines for you and plenty of time for your calls at 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Back to the phones we go. Robert is in the Republic of Texas in San Antonio listening on Guadalupe Radio. Robert, you're on with Father John Tregilio. Hi. My question is, is the obligatoriness of a holy day dependent on whether you attend the ordinary or the extraordinary form mass or on uh, which jurisdiction you're in. Uh, no, I'm glad you asked that. Uh, you can attend Mass, uh, any valid Mass, uh, anywhere, whether it's an ordinary form, extraordinary form, uh, w- whether it's Latin Rite or Eastern Rite, uh, as long as it's a, a valid Mass and uh, you, you can attend there. Um, and your jurisdiction, whether it's your parish or even your liturgical rite, does not limit you uh, to where you're going to go for a holy day of obligation. Now, what con- con- uh, compounds the confusion is like recently with uh, uh, New Year's Day being the Feast of Mary, Mother of God, formerly known as the Feast of Circumcision. Uh, because it falls on a Monday here in the United States, uh, the obligation is not binding uh, if it falls on a Monday or a Saturday, but all the other days of the week, uh, it, it, it would. And people genuinely get confused because Christmas is always a holy day of holy day of obligation as is Macca conception no matter what day of the week it falls but those some of those other holy days uh, you know like uh, New Year's Day All Saints Day uh, and so forth um, but yes you can go to a valid mass ordinary or extraordinary and um, uh, you have nothing to fear that you're not in sort of like the right liturgical jurisdiction. Uh, next up is George, a first-time listener, calling us from Historic Selma, Alabama, listening on Archangel Radio. George, you are on with Father John Tregilio. How you doing, Father? Hi. I, I, I shouldn't call you Father. I'm sorry about that. You know, only one, one person's Father is in heaven, is the, the Lord. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Lindy writes in, can you clarify the proper procedure to take care of cremated remains? Yes, uh, the proper procedure um, has been that the the cremains be buried uh, intact in in, one of those um, urns or whatever they call them, uh, you bury them in the ground uh, or you bury them intact at sea because that's always a viable option. Uh, the scattering of ashes uh, has never been approved. Um, now, I know there was a recent document that came out that gave a little leeway uh, with if someone's cremated, if they wanted to have part of that cremains buried somewhere else, um, 
I think that's now uh, allowed. The only play, instance where I could see that would be applicable would be if a person, uh, you know, grew up in one place. Like I, I grew up in Erie, Pennsylvania. Uh, I have a plot there with my mom and dad and my brothers and sister who are, are already there. But I'm a priest of Harrisburg. Um, now, I'm not going to do this but because I'm going to be buried intact. But if I were cremated, I could see, okay, part of my ashes go up to Erie, part of my ashes go to uh, Harrisburg. Um, that I, I have no problem with. But we don't want people to take some of the ashes home with them uh, because, uh, you know, they have to be treated with respect and dignity and leaving grandma or grandpa on the fireplace uh, or in the closet uh, or wearing them around your neck is is really not a, a good thing to do. Um, so as long as the ashes are treated with respect, problem is some people, they don't even bother to bury the ashes ever. I've spoken to a number of funeral directors and they have a whole closet of unclaimed ashes. Uh, that That's terrible. Um, but scattering is where the church is very... Uh, you know, insistent that we not do that because that's the whole reason why we weren't allowed to have cremation for centuries is because the pagans did that, like the Romans uh, and the Greeks, and they scattered the ashes, and that was the end of you. Well, we believe in the resurrection of the body. Now, when the church permits cremation, the suggestion and encouragement would be to still have a mass with the body, and then later, have the cremation because it's the body that's going to be resurrected. Uh, Natalie's watching us on YouTube and she asks, this is the, put your pastor hat back on after these several years in the seminary. Uh, can parents reuse the same set of godparents for multiple children? It's getting hard to find faithful Catholic godparents <laughs> that we're close with. Yes, the answer is absolutely positively yes. You can be uh, the godparent to more than one child. Uh, the only restriction would be that mom and dad cannot be godparents to their own children. Uh, a godparent, according to canon law, must be at least 16 years of age, uh, must be uh, baptized and confirmed, uh, must be, if they're married, validly married in the church, uh, and that they were uh, asked by the mother and father to be the sponsor. Uh, that being said, there's no restriction on how many godchildren you could have or even in one family. Now, the only hesitation I would have is that you wanna make sure that it's, you know, you're not giving them too much on their plate because as a godparent, you may not have a lot to do physically. And you, whether or not you take care of the children and God forbid, if something happens to the parents, that's nothing, does not have any effect uh, by canon law or you being a godparent. That's a civil law issue that mom and dad need to speak to their lawyer about, and uh, you certainly could be a part of that. But in terms of your spiritual obligation, you must be praying for that individual child every day of your life and giving good example every day of your life. Uh, I, I don't see a problem with if you're gonna be godfather or godmother of the same eight children from the same couple, but you want to take that seriously. This isn't just, well, we, they're the only practicing Catholics we can find. That's good. But we want them to actually be and continue being uh, good sponsors, good uh, godparents, and not just for the day of baptism. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. 
Uh, Franz writes in, is there any place that we can point to as containing God's word outside of Scripture? Well, certainly in John's gospel, uh, it tells us at the end of his gospel, there's many things that Jesus said and did that are not contained in Scripture, because if they were, there wouldn't be enough room in the world to contain all the books. So other things that Jesus said and did are not in Scripture. Um, The fact that Scripture itself doesn't call itself the Bible, but Christians, you know, we've given that name, Bible, uh, to sacred Scripture. I have not met any Christian yet who tells me I refuse to call it the Bible because it doesn't call itself the Bible. Uh, The chapter and verse that we find in in the Bible was not put there by the sacred author or by the Holy Spirit. It was added almost a thousand years after the fact uh, of when the church put together uh, the the sacred canon and the determination of what books uh, are in the Bible. There's only four gospels uh, and no, no more or no less. Uh, these are things which are part of sacred tradition, which also go hand in hand with sacred scripture. And St. Paul even uses that term, traditio, uh, in terms of, of what was handed on to me, I hand on to you. So in Catholic Christianity, it's not a competition. It's not either or, sacred tradition or sacred scripture. It's like Pope Benedict would often say, it's both and. Revelation from God, divine revelation, is from both sacred scripture and uh, sacred tradition. We head next to the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Lords is watching on YouTube today. Lords, you're on with Father John Tregilio. Thank you. Father, you're my favorite answerer. Um, I wanted... <laughs> Thanks. I, I just needed a clarification on the question you answered about general judgment. I had heard, like, uh, from a good priest that at that time, we will all know each other's good things we did and the bad things we did and their effects. Um, and then I heard that that does not include the sins that have been forgiven um, in confession. And I also wondered, well, does that include all the other sins that we forgot about, which um, that we... Um, you know, venial or mortal that we um, sincerely forgot about um, are supposedly forgiven at that time? Well, we don't know to what extent will be revealed. So this is speculation uh, on my part. The Church does not solemnly define exactly uh, what data will be shared with us. But I have no problem believing that every single thing we've ever said, thought, or did will be revealed. Because if you're in heaven, first of all, you you cannot be embarrassed. And our appreciation of God's mercy would only be increased if we knew all the sins of all those who were in heaven. No one's going to say, oh my gosh, how did they sneak in? We're going to say, wow, they were able to overcome their weaknesses by God's grace. Those in hell are going to be further embarrassed and and antagonized uh, because uh, their sins were, they had no contrition for their sins. So I have no problem believing that God would reveal with absolute precision everything we've ever said or, or did or thought. Uh, because like I said, if you're in heaven, you're not going to, you cannot be embarrassed in heaven. You can't uh, be ashamed. Uh, if you're in heaven, that's because your sins were forgiven. 
if you if they weren't, especially if they weren't more if they were mortal sins, you're not there. <laughs> you're you're going to be in hell for eternity. So uh, I think sometimes we get a little squeamish here on earth because we thought, oh my goodness, I'm, there's some things uh, I don't want people knowing. But uh, the, the point is, if you're there already or, or you're definitely on your way to heaven, uh, these things will not hold you back. Uh, forgiven sins, it's not that they don't exist, but the, the effect of them, the penalty uh, has been uh, erased, especially if you know, um, you've done any uh, temporal punishment here on earth or in purgatory. Um, Anne is up next. She is another first-time caller in the great state of South Carolina, listening on Catholic Radio in South Carolina. Anne, thanks for holding. You're on with Father John. Oh, good afternoon, Father John. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm doing fine. Thanks for calling. Okay, I was calling regarding the blessing of homes or apartments, and I wanted to ask you, if the chalk has already been blessed and I still have the prayer, um, do I need to get it blessed again? And is it too late to write above the door um, 24? Because I haven't erased it yet, but I wanted to know if I should get the chalk blessed again, and then I was going to put the, um, the... You do 24 plus C plus M, I think, M plus B, and plus 24. Uh, uh, you put 25. So um, how do I go get the chalk blessed again? You do not need to have the chalk blessed again. Uh, it's available for those who either lost their previously blessed chalk, but the blessing does not uh, disappear unless the chalk was used for something uh, improper, okay? If somebody was using the chalk to write bad things, okay? Uh, but if you have blessed chalk from the previous year, you can still use that. And the custom is to write two zero because that's the first two numbers of the calendar year. And then the letter CMB for Casper, Melchior, and Balthazar. It's also the first three letters of um, Christus, Manzion, and Benedicat, which is Latin for Christ bless this dwelling place. And the last two numbers would be 24. So it'd be two zero plus C, plus M, plus B, plus 24. You can put that in the, you write that in blessed chalk over your doorpost, um, but you do not have to use blessed chalk that was just blessed for that calendar year. But uh, being half Polish, this was a custom that we certainly did uh, every year in our house. And as a pastor, I not only had blessed chalk, but I had a few people who were little, you know, they didn't want to write chalk on their good woodwork. So we had little cards made up with that with the the numbers and the letters and uh, they could you know fix that with tape uh, over their their doorpost as well we head now to seattle washington ben is listening on sacred heart radio he's a first-time caller ben you are on with father Trujillo. good good afternoon father Trujillo. hi hello hi father father i have a question on uh, related to freemasonry Vatican City on November 15 has confirmed a ban on Catholics becoming Freemason. So what is your take, Father, on this one being a Catholic and a Freemason at that? Okay, well, my understanding is that, you know, uh, a Catholic cannot be a member of the Freemasons and still receive Holy Communion. Uh, under the 1917 Code of Canon Law, you're automatically excommunicated. In the 1983 Code, 
uh, they did not explicitly mention uh, the Freemasons, but they did mention the fact that there are, are uh, punishments and penalties for joining uh, anti-Catholic groups. And uh, the Freemasons or Masons uh, and their various branches are considered antithetical uh, to the Catholic faith. Now, that doesn't mean all the members believe that or know that, but all you have to do is go to a funeral parlor uh, and when a Mason dies and you see all the things that are involved, uh, the, the rituals that are involved at the at the funeral parlor, they do more things than I as a Catholic priest would do uh, for a, a Catholic week service. Uh, so they the, the claim that this is not a quasi-religion uh, goes out the window. Now, I know people who are uh, uh, Masons, they're, they're Protestant Christians, um, you know, they're, they're, they're good moral people, but I tell Catholics, you're not allowed to join. Uh, they've always been anti-Catholic, and uh, especially as you go up to higher ranks, 32nd degree and, and all that, um, and the Vatican made it clear that, uh, you know, you cannot join. Now, there was a period, I, I think in the 1970s, where Cardinal Kroll wrote to Rome and asked, could there be an exception because the, the Masons in the United States tend to be not as virulently anti-Catholic as the ones in Europe. And it took a few years, he got a response and the answer was no. And then uh, the, the, the question was asked again and the, and the answer was again, no. A Catholic cannot receive communion if they are, if they belong to the Masonic Lodge. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's Monday. That means the journey home tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, Jennifer Southers joins uh, Mark, uh, John Mark rather, Grodi today. After her husband died, she was looking for ways to grow stronger in her faith, and she took a pilgrimage to the Holy Land, and that ultimately led her to Catholicism and a deeper relationship with God. Find out all the inspiring details tonight. 8 p.m. Eastern Time on The Journey Home right here on EWTN Radio and Television. Jane is up next in Richmond, Virginia, first-time caller listening at EWTN.com. Jane, you're on with Father John. Uh, hi, Father John. Um, okay, so here's my question. Um, I'm a Catholic convert. I love being Catholic. Um, everyone else in my family is Protestant. Um, both of my parents are deceased. I would like to have Masses said for them, but a couple of questions. Can you say a Mass for them both, such as Mr. and Mrs. so-and-so? But also, I read somewhere, I don't remember where, that if a priest says a Mass for, like, a Protestant person, that's fine, except that he cannot say their name during the Mass. Okay, they can't say this Mass is offered for so-and-so because they're Protestant. I've never heard that. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist somewhere. But I think that, uh, you know, uh, you can't go beyond what the rules state. Uh, you know, there's an ancient uh, principle in canon law that you interpret things that restrict uh, very um, strictly, and those that grant favors, you uh, interpret them very um, favorably. So that being said, uh, since it's not explicitly restricted that you can't say the names or that you can't offer masses for non Catholics, I would say then, you know, you, you take that uh, at face value. I would have no problems offering a Mass, and I've done this before uh, for, uh, as you mentioned, a Protestant couple, uh, you know, Mary and Joe Smith, who were parents of one of my devout parishioners. Uh, I would mention their name. Their name would be in the, uh, in the bulletin. Um, there had been a period where uh, if you're going to have a, a Catholic funeral Mass, 
you need a permission from the bishop if the person wasn't Catholic. But because they were married to one, uh, bishops very, you know, freely gave that permission. Uh, I don't think that's required any longer. But uh, there's no problem having a mass offered or that it be said out loud who the mass is being offered for. Does that help, Jane? Yes, it does. And following just briefly, can you also say for the deceased members of the such-and-such family, implying going all the way back? Yes, you can. Um, Now, how far back you go, (laughs) uh, it's never been determined. But I would say uh, my interpretation of the law and and of the theology would be immediate family wouldn't be applicable. So if I said for the Tregilio family, it wouldn't be all my ancestors on, on my tree, which I've been working on, by the way. <laughs> but it would be my mom and dad and my my uh, two brothers and my sister who predeceased me. Um, you can maybe stretch it to uh, grandparents, but then you get into aunts, uncles, cousins. Uh, so in my interpretation would be if I say for the so-and-so family, uh, that would be immediate family. Uh, it doesn't mean that the other people wouldn't get graces, but... Um, you know, you get to the point where you're going to go all the way back to Adam and Eve, you know. So I would say immediate, at least definitely include them. Uh, next up is Dieter, a first-time caller in Niagara Falls, New York, watching us on YouTube today. Dieter, you're on with Father John Tregilio. Uh, yeah. yeah, my question is, um, I, I recently uh, had a funeral for a family, you know, a Catholic mass dead and burial, etc. When we got the bill, the charge is saying uh, $350 for pastoral pastoral fees. And then there was some confusion among the family. Uh, this this the uh, Someone said, no, you cannot charge for a mass. Uh, someone else said, maybe, uh, you know, just pastoral fees. Can you help with this? Yes. Yes, I, I can understand the, the, the concern. Um, because we're not charging for funerals. Now, that being the case, the priest cannot charge, um, but the person playing the music, the organist or whoever's playing the music, and if someone's singing the the cantor, uh, they're entitled uh, to uh, compensation because that's part of their salary, basically. Uh, In many cases, these are not people who are just volunteering. Uh, That's their livelihood. Uh, parish musicians, parish, um, you know, music directors, uh, singers, uh, you know, they're given a stipend, okay, maybe 50, 100 or whatever. So I don't know who was all involved with the music part of it. Uh, there could have been someone else who was uh, a coordinator of, um, you know, uh, especially if the parish has a cemetery. There's usually someone in charge, a layperson or a deacon who's in charge of getting the plot making sure that it's opened and and all that stuff. So there are these incidental costs, but in terms of the priest uh, or the deacon, uh, you know, even the altar servers, that's all free will. There's a customary uh, donation, which the funeral director should say, you know, it's the custom in this parish to make a donation to the parish, uh, or if somebody wants to give something to the priest, uh, that's certainly the case. Um, I, when I was a pastor, uh, we would typically get uh, 100 or $150, uh, and that was a very 
uh, middle class average, but it was never a charge. Uh, the only time that the people would get a bill of speak would be for the music people. So if it's $350, I would suspect that's what it could probably be. Uh, the music, the, the music players, the singers, uh, maybe uh, the maintenance man, if you had to get things set up, uh, you know, especially if they're going to use the hall afterwards. Uh, so I would clarify this by going to the undertaker and asking him, could you specify what these expenses were because that's probably who sent the bill to you. I, uh, if it comes from the church, then ask them. Say, you know, I'd like to know. Uh, could you delineate uh, what these expenses were? And we're head to George now. He's a first-time caller near Birmingham, Alabama, listening on Guadalupe Radio. George, just a couple minutes left with with Father Trujillo. What's your question today? <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm calling about um, the doctrine of um, purgatory. How do you get to that point of doctrine of purgatory? Well, basically, there's a number of, of instances, but to keep it short, in the book of Maccabees, which is part of the Old Testament, uh, it's said that when they these Hebrew soldiers died, uh, they collected offerings and they prayed for their souls. And if they're dead... Uh, if you're in heaven, you don't need prayers. If you're in your hell, prayers won't do you any good. So there must be some middle ground after death where somebody would need prayers. And that's where the church basically uh, gets its uh, first teachings on purgatory. Uh, it's a state of cleansing. Uh, it doesn't violate any other aspects of our Christian faith. Uh, heaven is for eternal reward. Hell is for eternal punishment. Purgatory is temporary, and not everyone needs to go to purgatory. But those who do, it's a wonderful idea that you're cleansing up your attachment to sin. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? Bendicamos omnipotens Deus, Pater, et Filius, et Spiritus Sanctus. Amen. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father John Trujillo, our producer, Michael McCall, our call screener, Matt Gubensky, with a little help from Charles Beery, and our social media maven today, Mr. Ace McKay. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line Monday. Just getting started this week. We're back at it tomorrow, talking faith, family, and fellowship with Father Wade Menezes on Open Line Tuesday. Until we get together then, God bless.